thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food real with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. Hi team and welcome back to the Real Food Real. Today on the show we are joined by Karen Zinn, dietitian, sports nutritionist and senior lecturer at AUT. Karen is otherwise known as Low Carb Karen and we're excited to have her on the show today. Hi, Karen, and thanks for joining The Real Food Real. Hi, Steph. It's great to be here today. Thank you for your time. I'm really excited for you to share your story. I'd love to um, actually start with a little bit of information about you and and what you're doing now, but I guess your journey as a practitioner and how things have changed for you. Yep. Okay, cool. Um, well, I guess as a, as a dietitian, I, I qualified uh, a wee while ago now, the end of, gosh, the end of 95 uh, that makes me feel old. Um, and I did all my training in, in South Africa, did my dietetic training in, in Cape Town, and then came to New Zealand and did my master's and PhD over here. Um, but all through whatever jobs that I had, which included public health and academia, I always kept kept up my private practice. And, um, and you know, I, I always thought I was doing a, a, a good job because you see successes and and you see failures as well. But you, you know, on, on the whole, there were successes. Um, I, I don't think I don't think a lot of practitioners are really good at following their clients up long term, and that's probably just a, a busyness thing. Um, but it was about coming up four years ago where I just totally changed my views about about nutrition and. And you know, I've told the story a couple of times, and and I sometimes I think it's just it's interesting. Everyone else has got a really cool story to tell. I mean, you know what it's like. People have been overweight and um, got gut issues and got health issues, and and they changed their nutrition and and their life changed. And my my story is rather boring in that I I don't actually have a story. I don't I don't have any you know previous health conditions that have now improved. But in you know in some ways that makes it quite a good story. Um, in that I've, I've changed my eating habits purely because I think it's a better way to eat mm. um, rather than to improve improve a health condition. Um, but certainly in integrating it into my practice, I can see enormous benefit in my clients it's just it's unbelievable so while in the past I thought I'd get successes you know on reflection you, you know you sort of unpick those successes and you go well you know it's the it's the top five percent who are seriously disciplined and who get health improvements with um, you know, restricting their calories, feeling really hungry, and over-exercising, and you, you do wonder how you you know you set people up um, in in the first instance. But so I, I've changed my practice, I've changed the way I eat, I've changed the way I think, um, and and I, I just think this is an absolutely superior way um, forward. It just makes total 
an utter sense to me. And the longer I do it, um, the more the more convinced I am that it's just it's it's the way to go. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting being a dietitian. Like you, you get taught one thing, and as you said, it was ninety five. So science was really different back then, right? That doesn't mean that it needs to remain dogmatic or that that you know forever approach to nutrition i think it's important that it is evolving with science yeah i think that's really an interesting comment because we know it's is nutrition's an evolving science and people that are in the game know it yet there's so much opposition to advance it and to to go with it at the moment you know when when i was a, a um, a, a dietitian studying and we were told about the food and nutrition guidelines and the RDIs and all that kind of stuff. To be honest, I just accepted it. I didn't actually question anything. You know, you think here, here's this body of knowledge, here are these experts, this is how it is. You, you don't question. Maybe it's only when you get older and wiser and you see things aren't working that you, that you start to question. But there is, you know, in the dietetic community, there's immense opposition to move with the science. Um, it, it's really quite interesting to watch. And really, it's a privilege to be a part of this this massive revolution in nutrition. Yeah, can you tell us more? I don't know how much you can say, but what, what's been your experience in the dietetics world now that you've moved into the low-carb real food arena? Yeah, and that's and that's one thing I do want to say is is that LCHF, low low carb healthy fat as we call it, it's just it's just a it's just a term. Really, it's about whole food. And I think when you start talking to dietitians about whole food, everyone sort of smiles and is on the same page and and gets it. But when it comes down to actually, you know, the, the nitty gritty of the the macronutrients, that's what gets people um, a little bit, you know, get get some gets their up a little bit so you know my experience with the, the di- dietitians and the dietitian boards of both New Zealand and I and Australia um, it's been quite interesting uh, to say the least um, I have I, I do want to say that I, there's been a lot of success there have been a lot of people who um, who are interested who are listening who are reading and who are dabbling in practice and I must say that that's really really impressive um, Unfortunately, the negative of that is that you get you get some old school dietitians that just don't want to move with the science and and people that that cause trouble for you. So they put in complaints to the dietitians boards, and then I've got to respond to these complaints. And you know, alongside a, a busy working day, mm. you know, to constantly have to justify yourself and what you're doing, and the fact that it is evidence based practice is is tiring and it's, it's wearing. Um, but on the whole, um, I feel like I'm in a fairly good good place at the moment, and I think the dietitians board in New Zealand um, are, are quite happy with with what I'm doing. Um, because they know that it's totally evidence-based practice. Excellent. That's really, really great to hear because I I was concerned probably last year things went a little bit crazy (laughs) with, you know, poor Tim Noakes and what's going on in South Africa and there just seemed to be this, this, I don't know, like almost like a fight for a little while there, which is really silly when we've all got the, the, um, the outcome or our aim is all the same to help people. 
Yeah. Admittedly, admittedly, I don't, I don't want to um, throw the dagger in here, but, but it's, it's, it's not all pretty. Um, and there's still a lot of nasty stuff going on. Um, but, (laughs) but I think, you know, you become pretty thick skinned and you you do what you need to do. And I mean, it would be so much easier if I just deregistered myself so much easier, so much, um, so much cheaper, um, and so much less. (laughs) <laughs> but but I you know I, I I feel it's important to to stay as a dietitian because dietitians tend to listen more to dietitians than than to others, um, and I think the the work that I'm doing from within um, to me it's a bit of a it's a bit of a mission is is to try and influence from within. Whereas if I just go oh no I'll deregister myself and that'll be that it's almost giving up. Like I do want to change the nature of of the of the profession in some small way in my lifetime. You know if it never happens fine, but at least I'm trying. Oh, I think you're already doing it. Yeah, well, I hope so. <laughs> some people, <laughs> but you're right. So, I mean, you so, don't want to give in. Hoping. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So you've obviously changed the way you practice in terms of moving away from the the guidelines. Can you give us more information as to sort of how you do practice? Because I do like the way you've changed the acronym to be low-carb healthier fat, which makes it more um, consumable, I think, to those that are your opposition. Um, but how do, you, how do you practice with your clients at, at that level? Um. I- you know, I guess I start from a standpoint of whole food. Yeah. And every single client that walks into my office will have a slightly different guideline or different prescription when it comes to carbs, protein, and fat. And, um, and you know, it would be nice to say, you know, I've got a template and I just, you know, give it out to people. That's that's so not true. It's very, very personalized. Um, and I think that people who criticize this don't really know how personalized it is. Mm. Um, you, you've got to work with situations. You've got to work with budgets. You've got to work with goals. Um, and I think that the beauty about this way of practicing, some people might say it is the the not so nice aspect, but I think it's a nice aspect is that there aren't any guidelines. Mm. You know, people say, oh, but there is no definition of low carb. But I think, well, that's fabulous, actually. Um, let's just, let's navigate our way together and find something that works for you. So I, I go with whole food and I focus my carbohydrates on, on really good quality carbohydrates. So vegetables, a little bit of fruit, dairy products for people that can handle and legumes for people that can handle and for some people who need higher levels of carbs I might pick up those good quality um, for some people who need lower levels so for example you know certain groups want to or choose to or need to go on the ketogenic diet the extreme end then of course you know you, you can't afford to do a lot of fruit or starchy vegetables or, or anything like that so so we work within those con- confines um, but also I what I what I do a lot of is is I is I try and embrace um, lifestyle rather than diets, and and I say to people, you know, most of the time, reduce the breads and cereals and pasta and rice and all that kind of stuff because it's, it's they, they they're just not great. But if you're going out with your friends to a to a party and you know they order pizza all around, then then have it, you know, every now and again. So it's it, it's about it's it's about embracing life and not becoming super 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 obsessed, because um, I think that could have some negative consequences as well. So what I try to do within those 
within that framework of low carb whole food is plan out a diet, typically um, three meals a day, sometimes sometimes less for people that might want to get into intermittent fasting, sometimes more for people who might need snacks if people want to gain weight um, or some exercising people um, at, at a high level, um, and then use natural whole fats as, as part of that meal. Uh, and and to be honest, it just um, it just works itself out. Um, I do get people to track their own food intake. I, I, I say to people that if they're going to do this long term, which, which is the goal really, they can't be reliant on me. I you know I don't want them coming back year after year. Not not a great business model, but um, I want them to be reliant on them, themselves and their own knowledge about food. They need to f- they need to figure it out for themselves, and I will help them along the way so that's really in a nutshell what what I would do yeah I love it I think certainly the lifestyle aspect's essential because we don't want to be dogmatic um but yeah very individual which is which is excellent to hear I know what you mean though about teaching your clients what to Mm -hmm. eat and they they shouldn't need to see you forever right because they should be empowered with that knowledge to to take it and um you know put it into their life and their family's life and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's interesting though because a lot of – and you know, most people in the industry would know that – you know, it's the first consultation that you set them up and you, you give them all the, the guts of it and the sample meal plan and all that kind of stuff. But follow-ups are really just to hold their hand along the way. Mm. And some people don't need a lot of hand-holding and other people do. So, you know, we, we're living in a totally toxic environment and it's it's – unrealistic to expect people to change their food intake and um, be brilliant forevermore. So, you know, we, we become the psychologists and the counselors and the strategists and, you know, box of tissues in my office and all that, all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's what I quite like about this is that, is that whatever, whatever way of nutrition you're practicing, a behavior change is, is, is the key. And, you know, We've we've still got a role to play um, to pe- to keep people on track. Oh, absolutely! So, tell us what you're doing at AUT. You've obviously got your private practice, as we've discussed, but you're a senior yep. lecturer. Um, what are you, what are your teaching areas, and what, what's um what's keeping you busy there at the moment? Okay, so we we have a our primary degree is called the Bachelor of Sport and Recreation, mm. and um, and I really teach on the nutrition paper. So we've got a first year fundamentals paper, we've got a second year sports nutrition paper, and a third year kind of food community health paper. Then we've got some postgrad papers as well. So I contribute to to those, and um, from a teaching perspective, it's you know working at AUT is really fabulous because our um, our bosses pretty much let us teach what we want as long as we're doing it safely and and it's all evidence-based so we can we can really teach these students to become critical thinkers to look at the current guidelines to look at what's what's right or wrong about them to look at um you know where we're going in the future and and to allow them to make a decision for themselves rather than teaching them this is how it is um I know students prefer to be taught this is how it is and they they really like guidelines you know sports nutrition students always want to know how many grams of carbohydrate you meant to have for recovery mm. um and when you when you're in the the LCHF paradigm 
most of those guidelines just fall by the wayside, um, which is disconcerting to them, but really exciting, you know, for us. We are creating the new guidelines and the research that we're doing. So, from a student point of view, we um, we're really enjoying, you know, building these relationships with our students and giving them more than just a one line, which is which is really cool. Um, yeah, and this, yeah, I was just going to say, I just think it's fascinating that you have that freedom because. In Australia, the biggest challenge that we have is that the degrees, the dietetics degrees, um, they're still being taught the food pyramid. So we have these people that are, are, are very much already in the real food world. They might even be um, you know, very across LCHF and they want to get a qualification so they can move their career, but then they have to go back to uni and study this archaic advice and it's really challenging for them when they know quite differently. Yeah, I agree. And and uh, I mean, we don't train. Ours isn't a dietetic program. Yeah. Um, and I and I believe in some of the dietetic programs in New Zealand that is happening. Okay. However, um, we are being asked to go and give guest lectures to them, so they they get the other side. So there is potentially a little bit of little bit of movement there. Mm. But you know, I I say to students, um, you know. We, when you're going back to university, like why why are you there? You're there to to learn, and I think people people's idea of learning has well should should be changing um, in the environment that we live. You know, information is totally totally ex, um, accessible, and you can pretty much get all the information you need online. So going to university is all about learning how to critique, learning how to find information, learning how to discuss, put it together, reflect. So I would even say to those people who want to who want to pursue this this way of thinking to go to the mainstream universities and challenge and that's how you create change you know in a in a dietetic class of of 20 if they're 18 people going but hey like where are the randomized control trials that tell us we need to eat 6 to 11 servings of grains per day where is it you know they need to challenge the tutors so the tutors actually start thinking that you know perhaps they need to change the the curriculum a little bit yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, don't think it's hope. Bad. I don't think I don't think it's a bad thing that there isn't this way of thinking um, being taught at un- at all universities. I, th- I mean, you can look at it e- either way because, of course, you don't want to complete bias the other way mm. as well. You know, you want to give this is this is the mainstream advice. This is why we think it's wrong. This is where you get the research from. Why don't you go away and read and write an assignment and we'll have a discussion about it? You know, that that's real learning. Yeah, absolutely, that critical thinking that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and have you got some exciting research projects that you can share with us at the moment? Yeah, so, you know, for the last three and a half-ish years, we d- we decided to kind of, dr- well, not drop, but we decided to just turn our attention onto LCHF from a research perspective. So, our, so I work in our research unit, the Human Potential Centre, and we're doing – you know, we have done and are doing studies both in sports nutrition and sort of the public health area. So, you know, we've completed some some really good studies. And, you know, in the sports area, we did our, our first study was was on a group of multi-sporters. They were actually my 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 friends. And um, we went to do this um, enduro mountain bike race down in Rotorua here, here in New Zealand. And it's about four four years ago. And I was 
banging on about this nutrition strategy and they were like well make us guinea pigs like put us on it so so we did and um there were some really interesting outcomes from from that um which is which is what we expected. We put them on the ketogenic diet, and um, their performance dropped over ten weeks, which we totally expected. You know, coming off high carb, going really low, um, and of course only looking at ten weeks worth. But mm-hmm. they had substantial improvements in health outcomes and body composition. So that that was interesting. And they all they all eat that way now. Not ketogenic diet. They've all kind of up their carbs a little bit, but they're still essentially LCHF, which is which is great. Um, a student of mine completed a weightlifting study. Um, it was a case study on on five uh, powerlifters that were sort of making weight for the competition, and he put them on LCHF and found that you know they could lose body fat and maintain strength at the same time. So that's that's really really useful for. For that type of athlete that is that is looking at, you know, maintaining strength and getting into um, the best possible shape that they can for competitions. Um, we've also got a PhD student now who's looking at um, is looking at nutrition in the immune system, which is going to be really really interesting because, you know, the whole immune system topic is so intricately linked with carbohydrate so it'll be quite fascinating he's just starting just starting out it'll be quite fascinating to see what comes of that um from a public health perspective we we did a, a really good study with a with the new zealand defense force and that was our first uh randomized controlled trial that was um you know not big numbers uh, but that was done uh, just over a year ago, we've got it sort of going into publication at the moment. And so we had an LCHF group and a kind of mainstream group. And the, the overall goal of the study wasn't necessarily weight loss. It was just, let's look at the effect on these two diets on health outcomes. Um, and what we found was both groups did drop a little bit of weight again, which can be, you know, totally expected. Uh, but the LCHF group had a substantially greater reduction in triglycerides and increase in HDL cholesterol, which is, you know, again, what we expect to see after reading similar studies in, in literature. So, um, so that was really nice. We had a, a lot of the work we'll be doing is also quite trans, translational work. Um, so we had um, a study that was going on in menopausal women, and uh, we, you know, we, we put them on a. We didn't actually put them on a diet. We told them how to eat in this sort of whole food LCHF way for for twelve weeks, and looked at the qualitative aspect. So, how did you cope? What were the barriers? Um, did you adhere? Um, are you going to do this long term? And we found some really great outcomes from that, and we're just doing a follow-up study with them at the moment as well. So that that's just a, a handful. We've we've got we've got a good amount more studies that that are going on, but that's just a, a snapshot of of stuff that we're doing at the moment. Yeah, fascinating, and it'll be great to see you know the published um, research so that we can keep sharing those with others in the community. Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting. The academic game, I mean, I don't know if I'm a true academic. Um the, the publication game is really is really interesting and um 
you know, people, or one of the criticisms that, that I have um, had from the dietitians is, you know, where's her research? She hasn't published anything on this. And wow. anyone who knows anything about academia will know that it's so hard to get funded, number one. Mm. Number two, you do your study and then, you know, it can take years to get published um, unless you're doing clinical trials, randomized controlled trials, um, that are very, very expensive, it's really difficult to get published. A lot of our work is student work, case study work. Um, we've just we've just come off a feasibility study um, called Low Carb Kids, actually. So it was, a again, a 12-week weight loss study for overweight children. And we looked at some key feasibility aspects to inform a greater study. So now we're putting together the application, the funding application for the full study um, to submit to the Health Research Council for funding. Um, and, you know, ton of work, you know, hours and hours and hours of work are going to go into that. And, you know, who knows? They, they either give it a, a tick or a cross. And sometimes it depends on who's sitting on the panel, you know? Yeah, it's quite political, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And sometimes you just got to, you, you just, you know, you either you either play the game or you, or you get out, really. Um, so it's, yeah, sometimes it's got me tearing my hair out. But <laughs> again, like for anyone who's listening to this, know that we have been doing research, we are doing research, and we are publishing, we're trying to publish. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, isn't it? And you would have seen it over the last four years with the movement. People's rebuttal is always, oh, where's the research? Where's the research? But, you know, anyone that knows the process realizes that it takes years, like absolutely years until the research is published. So that's why we always want to be in front. Yeah, and I think also there is really good research out there um why why do we have to you can almost say it's it's unethical to reproduce research that has been done um so what we want to do is try and see whether whether the research is actually we, whether we can translate it to our local communities you know we've got um ethnic groups such as Maori and Pacific Islanders who tend to be overrepresented in the health statistics we want to see if we can translate some of this work to them um, and this kind of stuff is not that sexy in terms of publication, mm. <laughs> um, but it's important. It's important work. So there is a lot of there's a lot of research out there that um, that has been done over the years that's just been you know shunned. It's been put aside. So um, I think people need to appreciate that. It's not like oh, there's all this new research. Well, actually, some of it is years old. Yeah, that's very true. And it's really good research too. It just mm. hasn't been cited a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's been forgotten about, lost underneath all the high-carb research. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. It's just dumped this bag of sugar on all these journals. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, <laughs> so I saw I've, – I've also seen what you've been doing with um, Dilworth School. I thought that would be a fascinating story for you to share with us as to what's yeah. been going on. Yeah, that that was that was honestly like I, I before academia I worked in public health for four years up north, um, but I have to say this work with Dilworth was some of the most satisfying work that I've ever done with a school, and the reason is because of the approach that that they took. It was mm. just just fabulous. So, um, so Dilworth, we've got the junior and senior school up in Auckland, and then we've got the rural campus, which is about an, uh, maybe 45 to an hour's drive south of Auckland. Uh, and the people at that campus 
got in touch and we had a meeting and we, we chatted some things through. They read what the fat, the chef lost a whole heap of weight, like almost 20 kilos and they got it. Something clicked. Mm. Um, and they said, right, we want to see what we can do with, with the kids. So, um, I analyzed their menus and saw that they were eating an, an enormous amount of sugar. Um, like, added sugars, sugar, you know, they were having lots of morning teas, lots of afternoon teas, lots of desserts full, filled with sugar. Mm. So we, we looked at the menu and we made some changes. Um, and some might say there were substantial changes. I would say it was more tweaking. Mm. Um, I would say, you know, when you look at some of those sugary desserts and treats and things, we reduced that and, and added desserts on more treat-based occasions yeah. rather than daily. Um, we looked at the the supply of bread, and instead of having an unlimited supply of bread with every meal every night, you know, we'd cut that back to two or three times a week and put a limit on the amount that, that they could have. Um, we integrated more healthy fat into their meals. The snacks were more... Um, you know, nut based and and healthy fat based. So we t- we took away you know the muffins and the um, the pies and the slices and and the buns and and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we just we just put in some good decent food, and they've had such great results at that campus. Mm. And then the Auckland guys got wind of it, and um, I continued the the work that I did with them, and they've made some tweaks to their menus too. Um, I'd have to say that the tweaks that they made to the menus were less severe. Uh, they were sort of a bit more conservative about it, and that, that was totally fine. Um, and it's going really, really well, going really well. Yeah, it's such a great story. I think it's setting a, a really good example for what is possible across schools. There's obviously, um, I think, it needs to start with whether it's the principal or the chef, as you say, like it needs to be – a priority of theirs to to be able to make it happen. Totally, you're totally mm. right. You need a champion. You yeah. absolutely need a champion. But what was great about this school is they did, um, they they filtered the message through to the whole school. So I went and talked to the students on several occasions. We did some work in their classes, um, and also went to talk to the staff. So it wasn't like this one-off thing that they did. You know, the whole school was aware and involved, had an opportunity to answer questions. And when they realized that it wasn't this severe, let's take away all the carbohydrate and let's give them lots of fat that's going to give you heart disease, once they, once they learned a lot about it, they were totally comfortable with the strategies that we put in place. Yeah, and you can. You can take a less drastic approach and still get some amazing benefits. Yeah, exactly, exactly. In fact, the funny thing was is that um, Dilworth actually got a complaint by um, by a by a dietitian um, about about how horrified they were in seeing that they adopted this LCHF approach. Um, and clearly, there was a lack of understanding um, about the complete story about about what happened. It was just, but it was just a bit, you know, tainted the whole experience you know this letter went to the school and went to the minister of education and the minister of health i'm like really you know we're just trying to eat whole food and get a bunch of sugar out like what is what is wrong with that yeah and when you say it like that it's so simple right but you're you're also right that the message seems to be confused or or seen as drastic when in fact it's absolutely not 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, but but you know, on a positive note, there've been two organisations that have um, that have approached me after and said, "Wow, I've seen this work that you guys have done. Um, I want to do the same. Can you help? I want to do the same." Mm. There's someone who works at a um, at a in, an organisation for underprivileged children. It's it's like a you, you know you get organisations where kids are taken away from their home environment and put in, into this organ, like safe organisation. Yeah. Um, this this nutritionist who works there wanted to change the menu, so we're working together to do that. Um, and likewise for another organisation as well. So there is there's some positive spin off, and um, you know that's really encouraging and, and nice to see. Yeah, absolutely. You are going to need some more hours in your day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Cool. So for the benefit of our listeners, tell us about what the fat. So I know you've got some bigger news about the the second um, installment, but we'll start with what the fat, just so our listeners are aware of um, more information about that and how they can um, grab their copy. Yeah, great. So... Uh, several years ago, myself and my colleague, Professor Grant Schofield, and uh, a, a, a chef from a, the first LCHF re- restaurant in Auckland, the official first restaurant, um, Craig Roger, we we got together one day and um, said, you know, should we write a book? <laughs> and uh, and we decided um, we decided that we really wanted to get this message out and we put this book together and it has three components. The first component is very much a how-to. The middle component is all about um, the recipes and then the end component is all about the science. And I think the combination of those three aspects um, goes down really well because it, you know, no one can actually have any comeback. And funnily enough, I've had no complaints from the dietitians about the book because the science is there alongside it to justify everything there. And it's it's the complete package. So when you read it, you see that it's not totally extreme. It's just about whole food. So uh, the book was launched last year in June, actually. So coming up, coming up for a year. And, um, and it's doing really well um, in New Zealand and, you know, people in Australia can get it. It's the same price to order it online for Australia and New Zealand. Um, we're working on getting it into the shops in Australia, so um, stand by on that one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's going it's going really well. We've had really good feedback about it and, um, yeah, it's pro- it prompted us to write the second book, which was the first one's What the Fat – uh, fats and sugars out and the second one is what the fat for sports performance leaner fitter faster so both of them are available on um on ebook on amazon but our sports performance book has just landed uh, this morning in auckland on the boat so uh we'll just go through customs and to the warehouse so in a couple of weeks there'll be it'll be online ready to order um, i believe we're taking pre-orders at the moment as well very exciting. Looking forward yeah. to checking out that. I've been waiting. I've got the ebook, but I'm waiting for my hard copy. <laughs> yeah, I must say, I just um, got the hard copy in my hands last week, mm. and um, it's a slightly different size. It's like a, more of a handbook, and yeah. it just it's fe- it feels good. It's, it's really, really cool. Um, the other news is that our What the Fat books are um, are now being 
um, are now being shipped in the UK. So we have a warehouse in the UK. So people in the UK don't have to pay exorbitant prices to get the book shipped over. They can order it directly on our website um, from the UK, which is great. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So we'll pop those links in the show notes. Absolutely. Cool. Thank you. Very good. All right. And before we wrap up today, have you got any other exciting news or projects or anything that you want to share with us, Karen? Um, probably giving away it all. Yeah, probably probably have actually. Yeah, I mean our big big thing at the moment is that we we're putting in this HRC grant for for our, our big randomized controlled trial for our kids. Mm. Um, we you know so that's exciting on a research front. Um, for, um on a teaching front, we're doing a, a big refresh of our Bachelor of Sport and Rec. So we're going to get um we're just going to uh do more of this kind of stuff for our students mm. and. I guess private practice, just carrying on doing doing what we doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But I do feel, um, I really feel that this whole food message is getting out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's exciting for me is that you know when you compare it to the Atkins movement, that sort of came and it didn't totally die, but it it sort of halted a bit. And and I suspect because um, it was it was um, it was profiled alongside a bunch of commercial products like Atkins bars and shakes and things. Whereas this time this has come around, two, two sort of major differences. The first major difference is that there are a whole lot of um, very intelligent both practitioners, academics, yeah, health practitioners, cardiologists, surgeons, uh, dietitians, there are lots of people who are actually changing their mind and running with this. GPs have been fabulous. They, they're coming on board quite well. Mm. Um, and the other aspect is that there's no food industry sell. Yeah, we're not trying to sell anything apart from a commodity, food. And I think that's what makes it honest and, and sustainable. Like go to, the, go to the vegetable shop, go to the butchery. Don't even go to the supermarket if you don't yeah. need to. You know, so I just, I just think that in itself is, um, it's just, it's just very exciting. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I do agree. I think it's the message is, is really simple. Like when you explain it to someone, they can totally wrap their head around it. Yeah, they're not trying to sell them products, or you know, they're not trying to navigate their way through food labels or anything that might be, you know, confusing to some people. If it's real food they can understand, you know, how to purchase that and what to choose. And then when they experience um, how different they feel and the health benefits, then they're definitely sold. Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm. Exactly right. Amazing. We're so grateful for the work that you do, Karen. So thanks so much for continuing to um, stand, you know, stand up for your <laughs> for your beliefs and yes. um, to spread that message across your profession. Yeah, well, you're welcome, and thank you for uh, being being willing to broadcast it to um, the world who might be listening to your podcast. Yeah, I'm very I'm very excited to share this episode with everybody, cool. and um, I'll get them to check out your website and what the fat and what the fat sports performance in the show notes. Cool, cool, great. Thanks so much. Take care, Karen. We'll talk soon. Thanks, you too. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.